0: Real Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Temple. or what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And as always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. Today, I'm going to be continuing with part two of a series I call monsters stay tuned at the end of the episode for some announcements i'm just gonna get right into it if you hadn't heard the first edition of monsters go back and listen to it but last week i left y'all at the we were starting to work the crime scene we were inside the residence. louisiana state police crime lab technicians that got there they brought in all their stuff And we're standing there, and I would just gone to the fireplace and seen a condom wrapper partially burned, a Trojan condom wrapper partially burned. And they're putting on their booties and giving us booties and gloves and everything else. And it's it's just Calvin, Balladin and I. And then I told you there there was a large crowd gathered outside now, and we had already done the interview with the victim's daughter. The victim is an 82-year-old white female who's deceased laying in the hallway, half in and half out of the doorway to a bedroom in the hallway in the house. And it's the most horrific crime scene I've ever seen. And now I'm going to walk you through the crime scene as we process it. I'm going to give you another warning. I am not telling you what I'm about to tell you. To sensationalize anything, I have to tell you this about the brutality of it, because you need to understand the evil that happened. My heart goes out to the family to this day, and it's it's now been it's been fourteen years since this happened to the this, this past week, okay, and so. I'm going to continue. We suit up, glove up and everything and start to process the scene. Well, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to photograph everything. And I always say we photograph everything like you're working a homicide, right? Even if I'm going to look at a house to buy, right, and I want to, Pictures for later on, I take the pictures from every single angle, every single corner, every single everything, every angle, thousands of pictures, every single view that you think you could have of everything that's in that residence. You do it because you only get one shot at it, y'all. Also, they do video now, right? But you only get one shot at it. So in so many cases... There are things that you go back afterwards that you get more information on that you go back and you you want to look at your pictures or the video and, and see, you know, you you find something that you didn't see before, right? You, that you recognize an, a piece of evidence or a picture that you took that's vastly important to the case that you didn't know before you got more information as you're conducting an investigation. So... First thing is, you got to photograph everything. So I'm walking with the crime lab technician as he's photographing, and, and we actually went to what would be the rear door of the residence. Now, let me explain that to you. If you're coming in from the back door, you walk into the door, you walk into the back door, that's where we start, it opens inward to the right. And you walk into what I call a mud room in South Louisiana. We call them a mud room. That would be the room where you come in and you, you have your washer and your dryer and your laundry and stuff like that. You can hang your coats. Well, we call it a mud room. Like if you've been out hunting, you take off your muddy boots and your muddy clothes. When I was a kid, we, you know, we'd come in the mud room, and a lot of times my mama would make, <laughs> take us outside and Make a strip neck and hoses down with the hose because we'd be covered in mud from the head to the toe. But anyways, call it a mudroom. So we walk in to the mudroom and start to photograph it. And one of the things I noticed on the floor is broken glass in, in the mudroom. And, well, where does that come from? What type of glass is it? You look up and the light fixture that was over the mud room. Actually, we tried to turn on the light and didn't turn on, and the light fixture was busted out, and the light bulb was busted out. And I thought, well, that's, kind of, that's really kind of strange, right? I don't know. You know, a lot of times in cases, people will bust out the lights so they can hide uh, before they attack their victims, et cetera. But anyway, filing it away, broken glass, photograph it all, photograph the broken light, and then we start to proceed into the house, you come immediately into the kitchen. Refrigerator is right there to your right. You know, you got your sink and, and all that in and, uh, and the table area, etc. cetera. And now there's blood drops, y'all. Fat blood drops, not blood splatter. Kind of spread out, you know. And they're not like, not like the person was standing in one spot bleeding as if the person had walked through at least once, maybe several times. And so we're following the blood trail, photographing through, and then you, you get to the end of the kitchen and you make that right. And that's the opening that I told you to open up onto the living room and that long hallway that ran the length of the house. And when you make that right and you're looking that away, the front door would have been on your left hand side. You can see the the victim laying in the hallway where I told you about. And you got the living room. Well, we take a ride into the living room, and I told them about the condom in the, the fireplace. They take a picture of that, and then we start to photograph the living room. Well, there's a coffee table in front of the couch. On the coffee table, and I didn't tell you about this last week, although I did see it, I forgot to tell you. On the coffee table is what appeared to be powdered cocaine, okay, in what I call at least an eight ball, an eighth of an ounce of cocaine in a opened up uh, like a plastic baggie. And there was actually a couple of lines on the table that had been cut out. Lines, y'all, When generally when people snort cocaine, they pour it out and they cut it up with a credit card or a razor blade, whatever, and they make it a line. And then they snort it through a straw or just put their nose to it and snort it up. So now we have cocaine on the table in the living room. All right, so we're photographing that. And, uh, oh, the gun cabinet I told you about, it was empty. The door was open on it. It was a tall. No, most gun cabinets are tall, right, because of the height of the rifles and shotguns. But it was a light wood color glass front gun cabinet, and it held, I don't, I don't know, 8 to 12 guns, I'm guessing, rifles. Uh, they had slots for it but it was open, and the bottom underneath had like a, um, a drawer section where you keep all your ammo and stuff and gun cleaning stuff, and that was open also. Guess what? No guns. Zero. And not a lot of ammunition. There was some ammunition that was left, but not a lot. So it looked like all the guns had been taken, and the majority of the ammunition had been taken from the gun cabinet. And guess what? There was some blood there also. So now, but we're not sampling yet. We're taking samples yet. We're just photographing everything. So then we start to proceed down the hallway. I showed them the bathroom on the right. The bag of ice is still in the sink. Still got ice in it. Still got blood drops in the bathroom. Photograph it all. Begin to proceed down the hallway further, and now and now, this is where the the lake of blood is, if you will, before we get to the victim. And they're taking detailed photographs of the, the footprints and the shoe prints that are, and some of them were mine. Some of them obviously were the victim's daughter, but obviously... There was more than that, but now it's it's kind of all messed up, but they take it in, in, in the close-ups, and it's a real tedious process. You don't get in a rush. I mean, this takes that a long time. And so photographing every single drop of blood, every footprint, every whatever, as we get closer to the victim's body, the blood spatter, and I told you about that last week, blood spatter was on both sides of the hallway, the walls. It was on the roof of the hallway above the victim. And the crime line tech was like, damn. And I said, I know, right? I mean, so if if you get shot one time and I told you the bullet goes in, the slower blood comes out, faster blood comes out, hits it, you're going to have that one blood splatter. Murder in House 2 is a true crime podcast like you've never heard before. It's about mass murder, but so much more. It's about cover-ups, the fog of war, and one man's fight for justice. It took U.S. film director Michael Epstein 10 years to make, as he searches for the truth, behind the Haditha massacre in Iraq back in 2005, 24 unarmed Iraqi civilians, including women the elderly and young children were shot multiple times by a group of U.S. Marines. Epstein recorded hundreds of hours of privileged conversations, including a site visit to the crime scene with the Marine charged with 18 counts of murder. Search for Murder in the House 2 on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You'll see video, photographs, and interviews, and you'll definitely want to hear the podcast. It is the number one true crime podcast in the U.K. made by an American about the U.S. military. So, why is it number one over here? There's a lot of great true crime podcasts out there, y'all. But Murder in House 2 really takes you inside places I don't think the US military wants you to go. And I don't think this, you know, they ever want to give themselves a black eye. But unfortunately, there's good and bad in every profession. This massacre is horrible. I mean, kids, old people, women getting murdered. Anyway, you really need to check it out. There's no spoilers here, but it is a story that those at the very top of the military and government do not want telling. It is the number one true crime podcast in the UK, made by an American about the U.S. military. I found it super interesting. I'm a I'm a veteran, and I, uh, it's just tough, y'all. You got to go listen. I mean, it's not for the faint of heart, but if you're a true crime podcast fan, go listen to Murder in the House 2. It is certainly worth listening to. We had multiple blood splatters all over the walls from different angles, different angles, which means there's many, many different wounds. Okay. Get to the victim, and I told you that her nightgown was pushed up, panties were down, possible rate, but it's all got to be photographed. But one thing I noticed was that the large amount of blood there was, there was not much blood splatter on the backside. Or Okay, if you fold a nightgown up, there wasn't much blood splatter on the back side of the nightgown. There also wasn't much, if any, blood on the underwear that were pulled down. Okay? That tells me something. What does it tell me? It tells me more than likely the nightgown was pushed up and the panties were pulled down after all the damage had been done to the victim. Otherwise, there would have been blood splatter on in those locations also. There were some drops, and that's to be duly noted, but no blood splatter. So I'm thinking this is probably done after the victim was already dead. So we're at the victim, and this is going to be hard to hear, and it's not to sensationalize this, because you need to know. The victim was face down, And she, her head, I don't know how else to describe it. Her head was so severely beaten, so severely damaged. It was like nothing I'd ever seen. And I'm not talking about from a gunshot wound. I'm talking about tears in her head and then through her hair and on her skull. You could see skull all over her head. I mean, there's tears. Where it was down to the bone. You could see the white of her skull. Too many to count. Too many blows to the head to count. She didn't even look like a human being. It didn't look like a human head. So we're photographing it, and you don't really talk at other than in, in some of the blood around her head, I noticed two things. Now, her head was more in the doorway, y'all, into the bedroom. And there was a lo- her lower end of her body that was more out into the hallway. And there's broken glass, two different types of broken glass. One appeared to be a vase. It was like, I think it was like white and it had, if it had been intact, you'd be, it had like a, maybe a painted on flower design, if you will, but it's in, I mean, it's heavy vase. I mean, it's not like a, a a single flower vase. It was a, it was a big heavy vase, but it was broken. And if you hit somebody with that, it'd do some damage, but you would, you would really have to hit them hard and numerous times to break that thing because it was thick. It wasn't it wasn't a thin wall, cheap base, but it was busted. And glass was scattered, part into the bedroom, part some in the hallway. Not much in the hallway, more into the bedroom where a head was. But it was there, and then I noticed a Coke bottle, an old timey Coke bottle. Okay, now when I was a boy, and you grew up. You went to a vending machine, you got, they didn't have, I don't know if they, if they even had canned Cokes when I was a kid, but they, they served it in these thick glass bottles, all right? This was a broken, thick, thick glass Coke bottle. And younger generation, go look it up. Go look up old Coke bottles. And these are the ones that you could use to trade in. When I was a kid, you could collect them and trade them in for like a, a, a nickel at the store because they reused them before recycling was cool, I guess. And that was there also. Now, it wasn't sh- shattered as much as the, as the vase was, but it was there, and it had blood on it. And look, if you hit somebody with, a, with an old-school Coke bottle, it's really going to do some damage. Go into that bedroom. Her walker, the, the victim, 82-year-old, could not walk without the assistance of a walker okay her walker was when you walk into the bedroom it's a small bedroom but you actually had to step over her in the doorway you turn to the left her walk was down beside the, the bed and then there was an a uh, a nightstand and a full-size bed and then you turn to your right i think there was a it was a tv a small tv and then, then like like a shelving where like knickknacks were is what i call them and on that shelf was an overturned thing i think they were like an lsu collector might have been from the national championship the, the old coke bottle like a six pack and it was turned over and one of them obviously was out of it and that was the one that was on the floor and there was some blood there and it in It's just is is a just a fucked up scene, and the that there, there's so much blood on the walls, on the roof, and oh, there was, the phone was uh, was ripped out, uh, and and on the floor also. Evidently, the victim had a phone in the room, and y'all yeah, it's just, it just so much blood. And I'm not talking about the lake of blood in the hallway. Now I'm talking about the blood splatter, and and then drops mixed in. Right. And so photograph that, have to step back over her. And then, then when, when upon closer inspection on the floor, we saw some 22 caliber bullets. Okay. There were a couple that were not shot, meaning they were just loose bullets on the floor. Now, they were 22 caliber shorts. There was a spent casing of a 22 caliber long found in the hallway. Spent meaning it had been fired. Followed away. We'll get to it sooner or later. But but you looked at you looked at the victim and the and the damage done to her head. You I I couldn't see a bullet hole. I mean you couldn't see anything. I mean, but anyway that. Keep that in your mind. some 22 caliber shorts that were not fired than a 22 caliber long that was proceeding down the hall. the you know the blood splatter continues, goes down the hall, but as, as the farther it gets away from the body, the thinner the lines of the blood get that are on the wall and stuff, right? But it was in all directions, you know we keep film filming and shooting down the hall. And then you turn into the master bedroom, and we get into the single fat drops I told you about and, and film the whole, shoot the whole bedroom and go into that bathroom. And there's blood drops, fat drops in the bathroom and in that bathroom sink, all photograph. very important. And we get done photographing the whole house. Well, the next step is evidence collection. Okay. And then during this time, you don't let anybody else in. And then we're suited up properly and everything else. But Stan came to the door and he said, man, there's, there's this one female out there and she's she's really carrying on. Real, real Y'all, yeah, these are hard and trying times, Yeah, but you shouldn't put off seeing a doctor when you need one, especially now, right? That's why I use Plush Care. They make seeing a doctor so easy and I do it right from home. I make a virtual doctor appointment through my smartphone or my computer. With PlusCare, I can be diagnosed, treated, and even have a prescription sent to my pharmacy of choice if needed within minutes. PlusCare accepts most major insurance carriers and is available in all 50 states and the doctor's care. PlusCare doctors are available to help. Schedule an appointment today to discuss your treatment options. And y'all, again, especially now, who wants to go sit in a doctor's room? office when it you know, could be full of COVID or who knows who's sick and who's been there. I did it recently. I've done it. It was quick, easy on my time. I, I got to do it from my own home and I didn't have to worry about putting myself or anyone else at risk. With Plus Care, I don't put off seeing a doctor and neither should you. No more excuses. Make your appointment today. Go to plushcare.com slash R-L-R-C. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash R-L-R-C. Plushcare.com slash R-L-R-C. She's screaming about some blacks must have did this, and it's over drugs, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, obviously, we'll get her statement, right, Stan? I said, you know, I said, I'd like to get it ourselves so we can have, we said, and I said, just let her go for a little, you know, we got to work this scene, right? And so, they start back the same way we photographed it at the back door. Come in. Oh, yeah, when you're photographing it, like the bullet case scenes and and the different blood drops, et cetera, they're dropping the, the little yellow cards on it, right, with numbers on it. So, it's potential evidence, but at least it's being cataloged in the photographs. You don't just go in and you know, photograph it and, and without marking it. And on certain things, you take a tape measure and you put it in, or a ruler, not a tape measure, a ruler, and you put that into the photograph so you, it can give you a dimensional size. They can go back later on and tell whatever it is you're photographing, how long or how big it was, In they can figure that out. So anyway, we go back in evidence collection part now. The first thing that they want to do is go through and get a sample of all the blood, different samples of all the blood. Why? Because it appears there's going to be, whoever did this, there's going to be their blood throughout the house, right? The fat drops I've been telling you about, probably... From them damaging their hands when they beat the victim and broke the the vase and stuff, you you know you break that you're gonna get cut. Why do I know or suspect it's not the victim's bl- fat blood drops in the back bathroom or on the bag of ice in the front bathroom or on the back door and and you know it's it's hell is it's a blood trail for lack of a better word. Because, first of all, she had to use a walker. And certainly she didn't, we can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt at this time, but certainly she didn't unload the gun cabinet by herself. Certainly she didn't put a bag of ice in that front bathroom and you know, then go to the back bathroom. I mean, I, I guess she could have, but the chances are slim. So we're testing everything four dna blood samples and it took forever why because there's just so much blood just so much blood and so and we're talking about hours y'all that have gone by and we're working and we're working diligently and they're going through and they take all the dna samples they take the condom wrapper. End up taking the cocaine, and we did a uh, what we call a field test on the cocaine. They take a small amount and they put it in one of these little containers. I forget what they call them now. I used to use them all the time. And anyway, you you open this field drug testing kit. is what it's called. I, I forget the exact nomenclature, but what it is is a little plastic container pouch that has three vials on the inside of it. You open the pouch from the top, you put a small amount of the suspected narcotics in it, then you break the vials. The glass vials are inside contain liquids, chemical reagents, and you break them from left to right. You break one and you have to shake it for a second. You break the second one, you shake it for however long, and break the third and shake it for how long. At the end of the, when you're shaking it, if it turns a certain color, it's, it is whatever drug it is in the case. And it, it came up Bright blue, positive for cocaine. So, then you got to collect the cocaine and and put it in evidence. And in and, my you know, hell, we're not even near the body yet, right? Then the DNA out the bag of ice and out of the bathrooms. And then you got to collect the broken vase and the coke bottle. And uh, you got to collect the shell casing that was spent. You got to collect the bullets that weren't weren't fired. I mean, it's just everything, okay? But we did it and it, it takes hours and hours and to be done correctly and guess what? You're not ever going to rush it. It's a homicide, right? And then it's the worst that you've ever seen. And then collect all the evidence and everything. You know the DNA's good and all that. And then the crime lab is when they say, okay, we're done. Let's, let's get the corner in and do the body. Now we haven't turned her over or anything at this point. So we could bring the corner in and he has, you know, put on his stuff. He put on the booties and stuff more to protect his boots, I think, than anything. And the coarse gloves. And we go down to where the body is and roll her over. And the front side of her face is just, it's just not there. I mean it's it's uh it just doesn't look like a human head. And she had white white hair, white gray hair, and but it was all red and just absolutely destroyed. Didn't didn't look like a human. <sighs> So they bag her hands, put paper bag, the technicians did. They bagged her hands. I probably forgot to tell you about that. You take the hand and you put it into a paper bag and you then you tape off the paper bag clothes. Why do you do that? In case she fought her attacker attackers and has DNA underneath her fingernails, that's going to come out of the autopsy. So you don't want... To lose any evidence, I mean, she may have hair in, in her hand. We don't know. You don't want to lose any of that evidence. Her, her hands have to be bagged. She's in lividity by this time, meaning the body was, you know, was stiff, and and that's all important. Uh, the the body temperature was taken. All, all that is important to establish some time of death and try to establish time of death. And We end up putting her in a body bag, sealing it, and then putting on the lock on the body bag, which has a a number on it, and that's to establish the chain of custody. You you photograph that right there, and before she's given to the coroner or taken in. We used uh, Seal's Funeral Home at the time. That's where the autopsies were done. And they, they would actually send out two of their guys with the stretcher to put the body on, the body bag on when, once we were done. But anyway, so tag and bag for like a better term, it, uh, bag and tag. She's bagged, you tag it, you are established in a chain of custody that everything that's on her body or her hands are wrapped up or it's in her head or whatever it may be is inside of that bag and it will not be open until the autopsy and that's when you match the coroner not the coroner the forensic pathologist matches your photograph from the crime scene of the same lock etc established a chain of custody it's got to go in this report because a, de- a defense attorney you know can have everything thrown out if the chain of custody is not there evidence is everything in a case like this so we get our bagged and tagged, and, and then uh, have Seals come to the door. We, we carried her down the hall, put her on the the uh, stretcher. They cover it up. Now, remember, the family's still outside, right? And cover her up, and they take her to Seals' funeral home in Denham Springs. And behind the funeral home is where they, they kept the bodies in the refrigerated things like you see in the movies, the steel things where the doors open up, and they put them on the trays. God, it sounds so cold, right? But it's what it is. Trays, and they put them on trays, and they and they put them back in the cooler until we can get the autopsy scheduled. Got the autopsy scheduled for, I think it was going to be the day after that. But anyway, so we get her out now; she's gone, and and then we meet back. and Stan was like, "You know, you got to go out and interview those girls." I said, "Absolutely, we're going to do that." So let's go do it now. So Calvin and I go out, and it's just a real, it's it's a bad scene. I mean, this lady, 82-year-old lady, spent her whole life helping kids. Everybody loved her. She's got, everybody loved her. And so, so many people out there, the emotions are so high. But Stan told me which one it was that was doing this extra carrying on. And we, Calvin and I approached her first. And I'm going to tell the names later on, y'all. Calvin and I approached him first, and I said, I said, you are, he said, that was my, that's my grandmother, that's my grandmother that I killed, I said, okay, I said, we need to get a statement from you, now, let me describe her to you, she's a white female, probably close to 40, real disheveled looking, real real unkempt, Yeah, I'm not saying this to be ugly, I'm just telling you what I observed, she, I'm not going to be ugly, but she, she was long, kind of a dirtish blonde, real dirty blonde, if not brown hair, uh, real disheveled looking, just not well put together, if you will. Real life, real crime. There's almost always a rise of break-ins during the holidays. That's so why Simply Safe Home Security is having a huge holiday sale. 30% off any Simply Safe system and a free security camera. Recently, US News and World Report called it the best home security of 2020. So, whether you're traveling or staying put for the holidays, check out the 30% off plus the free security camera deal before it ends this week. Y'all, I have the system in my house. The camera footage is amazing, it's easy to set up, easy to run, easy to play back. Check it out. It won CNET Editor's Choice for Home Security and was named Best of 2020 by Forbes and Popular Mechanics. The system has an arsenal of sensors and cameras to protect every inch of your home. You can set it up yourself in about 30 minutes. It's super easy. Then Simply Safe Security Specialist take over, monitoring your home around the clock and ready to send emergency help the moment there's an alarm. Get 30% off Simply Safe, plus a free security camera today by visiting... SimplySafe.com slash R-L-R-C. Hurry, this deal expires on Friday. That's simplysafecom slash R-L-R-C. Simplysafe.com slash R-L-R-C. Almost, she was all frantic and stuff. And to me, she almost appeared to be under the influence of something. Now, by this time, we've been there like five hours or, or more. And she's been out there the whole time, too. And I get it. Her grandmother has been brutally murdered, and she's been out there with her mama and her sister the entire time. And so we get her in my truck and introduce ourselves and uh, don't have to advise her. Right? I don't know anything about anything at this point, point. that's the truth. And get her name, get where she lives, and she's going on and on. And she wouldn't shut up about, you know, interrupting us about these, oh, and she's using N-words, these must have did it, and, and he's using drugs. And blah, blah, blah. I was like, Oh, oh, oh we'll just you know, s- settle down. Look, we need your help, you know, plan her a little bit. And, and we need your help. And uh, you got to tell us everything you know, you got to paint it for me like a, a, a movie. I mean, act like I know nothing at all, etc. I said, Who are you talking about? Who would be in this house that would have drugs that that would owe money? To black drug dealers that would come in here and kill your grandmother. Cause that's what she kept saying. And she said, the guy's name, she said, that's my stepdad. And I said, okay. And I said, has he ever showed up tonight? And she said, she said, no, he's not here. And we've been trying to call him and we don't know where he's at. And he should have been here. And that's why I know that they, they probably got him too and and killed my grandmother. I said, all right. I said, well, you, you can tell me about him. What makes you think he, he uses drugs. She said, he used to use it a long time ago. I'm just guessing that he must have started again. I'm just guessing. I'm thinking, yeah, you know some motherfucker in my mind, right? And Calvin and I can read each other. I know he's thinking the same thing. You just don't start out guessing that. And, and the victim's daughter, the wife of this girl's, this girl's mother's husband and and I mean, this girl's mama, the 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 daughter of the deceased is the one that told us he did have a drug problem many, many years ago, but not any time recent and the great job and career, blah, blah, blah. So I asked when was the last time you saw him? And she said, Oh, I don't know, a couple of days ago, uh, or whatever she told me. And I said so, I said, So you didn't see him today? She said, Absolutely not. I said okay where were you today and she said i was at home i said by yourself and she said yeah i was by myself and she was married and i said your husband wasn't home she said no i was home by myself and then i said you haven't seen him she said no and i said and you try to call him and she said i can't get in touch with him and i and, and i know it i know that son of a bitch had had drugs and owed, owed these black guys money and they did this blah 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 I and mean, she wasn't saying black guys and she's going on and on. You know what? Just locked her into her statement, basically, right? To the point where we were done with her. I knew, I felt personally, something wasn't quite right. But I don't know. It's, it's beginning an investigation. People act differently under grief, right? So we get let, let her out. And there was another granddaughter that was there. If you put the two side by side, exact opposites. This girl... And I call a girl, this young lady, was very well put together. Her hair was, you know, I mean, I guess you say immaculate, but it was, her hair was brushed, and she was, you know, very, very uh, pretty. And her husband was there with her, and her husband was a Baton Rouge City police officer. And and I told him, I said, look, we got to talk to her. And he said, I get it, I understand. And get her in the truck, and she, you know, of course, she was at home at, at, or at work that day and she also had tried to call the um the stepdad and couldn't get in touch with them. So she knew he had an, a narcotics problem in the past, but certainly not at any time and they're they're knowing them, right? he'd been clean, works the same job, et cetera, et cetera. So get out. Y'all, this is all going on and and we're conducting these interviews. And the guy's biological son shows up that he actually worked with at the company and we get him in an interview him and and started talking to him and, and said, Hey, you know, she's the victim is dead. And he's like, I can't believe that. I just can't believe it. And and I said, I understand your dad, you know, lives here. And he said, Yeah, yeah. And and I said, I understand that he works with you. And of course y'all Calvin's asking questions too. And we're playing off each other. And uh understanding he works with you and yeah, at our company. And you know, I said, was he at work today? And he said he came in for a few minutes, but he left way early. I said, All right. I said, what does he drive? He said, he drives a company truck, a maroon, I think it was a GMC, extended cab. I said, so he doesn't own the truck. He said, absolutely not. And he said, and on top of that, he he was supposed to, I think he was supposed to go make a bank deposit. I said, how much? He said, like $3,500 that he had access to. And he said, I can't get in touch with him. He said, I've been trying to call him all night. and go straight to voicemail. I'm like, all right. And I said, you know, the name of your company said I said or the other people saw him come in today and leave early. Said yes. I said, you mind if we send somebody out there tomorrow talk to him? He said no. He I said, do you have any reason to believe that your father was using narcotics? He said absolutely not. He said I, he had a problem with it in the past. He said, but if he's been using it again, he's been keeping it from me. And he said I wouldn't put up with it. He said my father's a Christian man. He goes to church. He testifies with, uh, his about his uh, fight with narcotics and his demons and everything else. And he said, I just don't believe it. And I said, well, look, you know, we got his information. I said, I'm really got to get with you on, you know, a lot of stuff, y'all. And I was thinking in my mind, does he have a company credit card? Does he have, you know, what? how does he get his money? We don't have a suspect yet, but it's certainly strange this dude in here. By now, it's like probably... 2 o'clock in the morning or later. I don't know. It's been a long time. And we talked to him and, and ended up releasing him from the initial interview. And we met back with Stan and everything and told him, "said so, look, man, I said, obviously, this dude is missing. He's had a narcotics problem in the past, cocaine specifically. And we got the coke in the house. And, you know, we just got to work it right. And I said, we got to start somewhere we got to start with him and uh, he's like yeah yeah you're right but you can't discount the you know the drug dealer thing I said look we can't discount anything everybody's suspect except for us and, and meanwhile we're standing there talking and the daughter of the victim the first one we interview, comes up and says says I think they're like her granddaughter her granddaughter or they there were a lot of Orphan children, y'all, that were involved in the story that I may tell you about or may not or whatever, and they all considered this, the victim to be their grandmother, and what have you. And she said, she said, this girl just got here, and she had to drive in from North Mississippi, and she's got information on him, talking about her husband that was missing. I said, all right. So Calvin and I go up and introduce ourselves. Said, hey, can you come in the truck and talk to us? And so she did, and she gets in there, told her her name, told us where she lived in the northern middle part of Mississippi. And I said, you, "You, I understand you have some information on him. And she said, I do. She said, I, it just totally freaked me out. And I said, what is it? And she said, I stopped. Yeah, I think it was Brookhaven, Mississippi. It's either Brookhaven or McComb. But I, I'll tell you about both of them. They're not 15 miles apart. And if you go to... If you come into Livingston Parish on Interstate 12, or say let's say you leave in Livingston Parish on Interstate 12, you go east until you hit I-55, I-55, and that runs north all the way from the Mississippi line all the way down to where it hits Interstate 10, and you take a left and go to New Orleans. So she said, anyway, you you would take I-55, into Mississippi and you, you, uh, 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 you know, you pass now Louisiana, you go through Kentwood and then you come into whatever small town in Mississippi and then another one in the town, you yeah, a couple of bigger ones and they are Macomb, and then, then uh, Brookhaven. They regardless. She said she got the phone call about the victim. Who's her great grandmother or whatever. And she was like, Holy hell. And, and I mean, you know, she loves the lady, right. And she's coming, she's family. She said, "I had to load up. I had to bring my kids or whomever somewhere. It's in the middle of the night now. She said I had to load up. I had to stop at Walmart to get something to drink, or I don't remember what it was. Maybe cigarettes. I don't remember. But that was the only thing that was open at that time of night in that small of a town was the Walmart." She says, "I go. I'm getting out of my vehicle. I'm going to walk in the door of Walmart." And I see him coming out, and he's carrying some bags of groceries. And she stopped, and she said, it freaked me the fuck out. She's like, what are you doing here? She said, don't don't you know? Don't you know? And I'm not going to say the victim's name, uh, what they called her. She said, don't you know She's, she's dead? She's been brutally murdered? And then he looks at her, and he said, yeah, yeah, I heard. I heard. I'm I'm heading that way right now. I'm heading that way right now. She said, "What are you doing in Mississippi?" He said, well, "I was up here for work, but I'm headed that way right now. Uh, I, I'm I'm headed straight there." And 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 he, she said, he was really, like, not strung out, but like really amped up. And then he took off, and he got into that maroon truck and drove off. And she said it freaked her out out right and then and so she just left and she ends up coming there and she's you know gets there and we we're interviewing her and i said what time was and she told me when she was at the walmart and so we thanked her and let her go got her phone number in case we need to contact her again but we got her statement that she sees him in mississippi now this is like this is like shit. three hours from where the victim is let's see, I'm an hour, at least two and a half, three hours from where the victim is. And he's coming out of Walmart in the middle of the night carrying grocery bags. So we ended up interviewing everybody else for whatever it is. It's like four or five o'clock in the morning. We had hold our last detective, and I said, Stan, I said, we got to get to Walmart. We got to pull a video. We got to find out what time he got there. We got to see if we can see any injuries on him. We got to see what he bought. He said, "I agree." He said, "I agree." I said, "Look, I'm I'm white." He said, "I'm gonna get the day shift guy come on, run over there, uh, give it the manager and pull the video. Go, you and Calvin, go get a couple hours sleep and then meet me back at the office late like in maybe two hours." He said, "Sleep, fast, hoss. I said, "All right." So, go home, go back up. Uh, I mean, sleep for an hour probably, and shower, fresh clothes, go back to the office, and they're there, and I forget who it was. It may have been Kim McMorris. I went and pulled the video, and they had, sure enough, sure as shit, and the Walmart cooperated, without a warrant. They told them what we were looking at, and not only did they give us the video, but they gave us the receipt, copy of the receipt of what he bought. And the video... This dude I'm describing for you, he's probably five eleven, maybe two hundred and eighty pounds, fat, big, thick, thick glasses, probably late forties, and he's just a slob, and he's in a shirt like a t-shirt with a pocket thing on the front, and and some jeans and whatever, and he's just fucking strolling through Walmart, and, you know, getting things off the shelves. But at one point, he went to the women's section, women's underwear section. And and he picked something out of there. Then he 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 went all the way through the store. He went. I mean, should he shopping like it's a Sunday and he's got all the time in the world? He went to the fruits and vegetables section and got a couple items. And so I am looking at the receipt while we're watching the video. And receipt shows some normal things like some toiletries, you know, uh, toothbrush, toothpaste. Some deodorant and but shit, it got to the women's section. He bought a pair, or I guess you call them a set. I'm not a lingerie guy, but he bought, I guess I'm gonna call it a set, a set of women's underwear. I think they were like fake silk and like a shiny dark blue, but I I forget how it's listed on receipt, but it was like size. Jumbo, and, and I don't know women's clothing sizes, but I, I, the manager store said that that what he bought was the largest size that they had. And then he went, when he was in the food section, he bought different food items. But when we went, I could understand everything he bought, it, and even grapes. He bought some grapes, right? Cause you can put grapes in a cooler and, and eat them as you're driving down the road. But he bought some large, yellow squash. Squash, the vegetable. And I'm thinking, and I told Calvin, I said, what the fuck? I mean, I, I can understand, I don't understand the woman's underwear unless he, he's he got a girlfriend somewhere, right? And I said, but the squash? Calvin said, I don't know, man. He said, I don't know. He never showed up that night, by the way, after the witness put him in the Walmart and she was right. It was him. We we printed out the picture from the Walmart, Show some another detective, took it to one of the family members. They said, yeah, that's him. We knew it was him anyway. We had pulled his driver's license and all that. Um, but he was positively identified as being him. But he, the things that stick out from the receipt for me at the Walmart are the women's bra and panties, but it was like a set thing, more like a lingerie thing. And then... The big squash. Figure it out. And I'm going to conclude it for this week on Monsters. You have no idea where this story is going. We're almost another hour in, and I'm going to leave it at that. It will continue it again next week. And even if you know the story, you don't know the story. My heart goes out to, to, and it always will, to this family. It's just unbelievable. And as always, thank y'all for everything. Thank you for listening and sharing Real Life Real Crime. Thank you for making us first runner-up to 2020's Best True Crime Podcast of the Year Award. Thank you, Patreon members, for your support. You're going to be getting your patron episode the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I'm not releasing anything next week. Except for a patron episode, and it, will, it doesn't have to do with monsters. This is it's another full length episode as part of your patron benefits. And you'll be getting, of course, patron. You get this episode earlier than everybody else commercial and unedited. All lifers, thank you. Thank you. I understand if you can't be a patron member, thank you for continuing to share and like us. Y'all, all our pages are blowing up. Go follow me on Instagram at, at real life, real crime in at Overton Woody. Uh check out all our social media. Check out our YouTube channel. It's growing phenomenally. All the episodes are on there. Previously pulled Who Murdered Courtney Coco is on there with video. So it's more like a movie. The Rapids Burning series the same thing. It's not just the episode. And then we're adding more episodes. My wife's working on it all the time, putting more videos and in, and in interviews, etc., in the episodes. Don't forget When Courtney Coco's case is solved, well, when it's solved, it's already been solved, after the arrests are made, we are going to release Don't Call It a Cold Case by Toby Tomplay and I, the new podcast. And it's going to be dealing strictly with Miss Barbara Blunt's case. So y'all keep continue calling you tips on that. In LOPA, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, go to their website. Take two minutes. Sign up to be an organ donor. Save a life. We have stories coming up that homicide victims were organ donors, and there we we're gonna have their family members on, and they're gonna be able to tell you who their organs went to, and we'll also tell you about the horrible homicides that they were victims of, et cetera. So all that's coming. Anyway, go to, go to lopa.org, sign up to be an organ donor, and g- when they ask you how you heard about them, go to Livingston Parish Literacy and Technology Center, criminal justice students. That's how I heard about it. Check the box. Those kids are pushing for it. Such a great cause. It's also personally my cause. Real Life Real Crime has adopted Lopa, their nonprofit organization. I'm going to continue to. Every episode I ever do, I'm going to sign out talking about Lopa because if one person goes out there and signs up, and by chance your organs get to be used, then you're saving lives. So I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And Until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder you. Peace. Get ready you do time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Real, life, real, crime. real life real crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Temple